You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey everybody! Welcome to episode five of the On the Four Check podcast. My name is Sean Smith. I'll be your host for this episode. Um, if you guys haven't seen, we have started our very own Twitter account and we are trying to get more followers. That way we can get uh, information about new episodes out to you quickly, as well as have an easy way for you to communicate with us about ideas for the show, questions for the show, things we can talk about on the show, anything related to the show. And if you want to give us a follow on Twitter, that account is at forecheckpod. And we are trying to get up to 250 followers. As it stands, we have right about 100. And when we do hit 250, we have a very nice prize pack to give away to one of our followers. You don't actually have to do anything to, to be eligible for that aside from just follow that account. Um, and, and honestly, starting this podcast has been a very exciting experience for me as well as the other folks that have joined me on it over the uh, past few episodes. And just looking at things, one of the things I like to see is where our listeners are listening from. And uh, of course, I'm, I'm not surprised that we have listeners from the United States and Canada as hockey is very big there. And of course, uh, we're here in the United States and we're talking about the National Predators. But we also noticed that we have some listeners tuning in from the UK, Switzerland, Belgium, Germany, and even France. So if, if you're listening from one of those places, it would be really awesome to hear from you guys. And probably the best place you could do that is on Twitter. So if you want to give us a follow on Twitter, that's at 4CheckPod. Again, my name's Sean Smith. I'm a writer at On The 4Check, and you can reach me on Twitter as well, at S-C-S-O-T-F. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about a lot of the big things that have happened over the past uh, 24 to 48 hours. Uh, one of those things uh, we'll talk about later with Eric Dune, one of our writers and our resident prospects expert at On the Forecheck, is the draft. He'll take a look at each of the draft picks made by the Predators, give a grade for that draft, and also talk a little bit about when and where we might see those players hit the ice. And before we get to that, we're actually going to talk about the big trade that happened right before the beginning of the second round, as well as the buyouts that were put into place almost immediately after. So we're going to talk about that with one of the editors at On The Forecheck, Brian Basson, and he's here with me now. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Sean. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm actually very excited to hear. I, I don't know if you know this or not. Um, I, I probably don't talk about it enough, but I I'm a fairly large Nick Benino fan, and I have been for a long time. Right. Um, I feel he has quite possibly been the uh, the linchpin that's hold this whole thing together for the past couple of seasons. So hearing that he's gone on a trade not only breaks my heart, but it, it makes me concerned for the future of the team. So I'm hoping you can explain to me why this is actually a good thing. Uh, yeah, so – Let's let's start with the, with what actually what happened um, first. So again, like you said, before the beginning of the second round, um, Nick Benino was traded to Minnesota along with pick thirty seven and pick seventy. 
Um, I think I believe that was uh, picks in the second and the third. And in return, the Predators received Luke Cunin, a forward for them, a young guy on an expiring uh, uh, RFA contract and pick 101. And so when I saw this in the midst of everything else that was happening yesterday, uh, I was a little bit, I don't know, I, I think this made sense in a vacuum I, uh, because, again, he has one year left. It's highly likely, even though he was so successful in the last couple of years, it was pretty likely that they weren't going to bring him back after his contract expired, especially not at 4.1. Um, you know, I've, I've doubted him for a few years, and I've, I've eaten my words all, you know, pretty much every season since then. But, you know, he's been worth that because he's been one of those consistent uh, players, and especially – Defensively, I mean, he's very, very strong defensive, defensively. I mean, he makes up for the fact that, that Craig Smith and Craig Smith is okay on defense, and then Rocco Grimaldi just doesn't play defense. Um, but he's made up for that on that line, and that's what made that line so success, successful. Um, you also saw a season ago, or two seasons ago, when Nick Benino was, was playing a majority of his minutes with Colton Sissons, and then whoever else was paired with them is usually Watson or Yarncroke a couple years back. And again, they were both very strong defensively. And so um, it's, it made sense though, I think when it first was announced, because to me, I thought that their, their plan was to move one of the centers to get some cap space. Um, I, so I thought, well, okay, they've moved Nick Menino. They're going to keep Kyle Turris and put him on the third line to center it. And because the, you know, by if by buying out Kyle Turris, they they, you know, they would save about four million dollars per year, and that's exactly what they're they're saving, um, when by trading Nick Benino. But, you know, I think part of this we don't know until they announce what Lucunin's new contract's going to be. Again, he's a restricted free agent. Yesterday, uh, on uh, Wednesday was the deadline to extend a qualifying offer. And since we didn't hear from the team that they didn't extend a qualifying offer to their two RFAs, which was Rem Pitlick and uh, Luke Cunin, I- I'm pretty sure that, that they did. And so basically what that means is they've given them, them an offer. Um, I think the offer has to be for both players, um, at least 105% of what their contract, previous contract was. And since I think both of them are on, we're on contracts like sub $1 million, it's, that's probably what they, they've offered. Um, looking, using like Evolving Hockey's uh, contract projections, Cunin projects around $2.3 million for three years. I'm not sure that he's going to get that. Um, but this seems like a cap dump type of move. It was to get to t- someone to take Benino and to get something back. Um, Cunin, you know, last season was pretty rough, and but I think he's younger. Um, he's a little bit. More, he's a net front presence a little bit. He's, he can get those greasy goals, but you know, I think initially I thought it was a better move than you know I do right now because then they made the the next move. But um, you know, I think obviously the plan at this point is to kind of tear things down. And to kind of start over, and, and Cunin's, you know, what, 22, 23? And so that definitely is a, is a step down from Benino, who's uh, like myself in his early 30s, I believe. And so um, I think they got younger. They saved some money there. Um, I really <laughs> I wasn't a huge fan of them giving up those second and third round picks because it was really, it was really nice that they had um, those two picks, the two picks in both of those rounds, um, 
So that kind of that kind of hurt, I think, personally. And then I have a little bit more beef with the Wild because I think a lot of what happened in this draft all fell on what the Wild did with their pick at number nine. Um, I know that we've kind of gone – I'm going back a little bit to the first round, but, you know, everybody knew that the Wild were probably the first team on the board that, were gonna, that could possibly go goalie, especially since they just traded uh, Devin Dubnik. And I, you know, after looking at that draft video that the Predators posted today, you know, we saw that they had, I believe they had offers to move up or they tried to move up to, to pick eight, which would have been right ahead of Minnesota. And I'm, I'm fairly certain that's because they were worried about Minnesota taking Askarov. Um, but I think once they saw that Marco Rossi was falling, um, that somebody was going to take him and was going to be probably the wild. And so all in, a, in one fell swoop, they took Rossi, which was a player that I thought should have been like fourth in the draft at number nine, uh, taking him off of Nashville's board and then leaving Askarov to be available. And again, Askarov is a great player. He's a fantastic goaltending prospect. He, he's, he's the future. He's got the future written all over him. But, you know, there was a whole lot of, of high-impact forwards available. So, yeah, I think the Wild kicked all this off and started this chain reaction. And so – it's not awesome to see Nick Benino go to a central division rival. Um, yeah. So this is, again, this is a move in a vacuum. I guess it makes sense. They save, they can save probably anywhere from two to $3 million on this. Um, they've got a player that they can plug in in the middle six role. I think honestly, if it was up to me, he'd be a bottom six guy, but they don't have a whole lot of guys left that they can really trust in a middle six role. So I think you'll see him on the third line. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, he's a raw prospect, but he's got a little, he's got a bit of a higher ceiling. So we'll see if, if John Hines can, can coach him up and get him a little bit more accustomed to this system as opposed to how he was in Minnesota. Well, I, and I, I think too, I, I did have the opportunity to talk to Cunnan yesterday after, after everything kind of settled down and he described himself and his style of play exactly the way you did. He's, he is someone who can make space for some of the skilled players. And he seemed excited about coming to Nashville and being able to, as he said, make some space for those players. He also said he doesn't mind getting in front of the net and being a nuisance up there. So, you know, it, it sounds like you're getting someone who can do a lot of the things that Nick Bonino can do so well. You're just getting him a little bit younger, a little bit in a, what's the word, rawer, a more raw form and for a little bit less money. So overall, if, if you could just kind of bring this one home for me, explain to me, um, maybe give me like two sentences, two sentences, why should I be okay with this? Oh man, um, okay, two sentences why you should be okay with this. The Nashville Predators saved probably $3 million in cap space. Okay, that's one. And he is likely better than Austin Watson. I'll take it. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a victory. Um, That's two sentences. Now. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, 
live only on Netflix. Uh, okay, so the other part of this is almost immediately after I, I, this news came to me as I was driving, and I wasn't very far from home, but before I could even make it home, I saw that Kyle Turris and uh, Steve Santini had been placed on unconditional waivers for the purpose of a buyout. Can you explain, I mean, number one, explain how that actually works. You know, what, what, what happens when you buy somebody out? But beyond that, what, I understand I'm a big Kyle Turris fan. Mm-hmm. I think he's, got a, he's a great character guy. However, I understand his production was lower. Um, I don't want to get into all that right now. I could spend two or three episodes by myself just being upset about it and crying softly into a corner, but no one wants to hear that. So I know, I know that I understand the reasons why they had to ship tourists out. I get it. But talk to me about a buyout. How does that work? How does that benefit the team? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty simple. Um, depending on the age of the, of the player, uh, it, it, it changes. But basically, for all players that get bought out, um, the, the team can buy out a player by putting them on waivers. And if they clear waivers, which means nobody else claims them, um, which would have been cool because if someone claimed them, then they take the whole contract. But um, that, That's the concept, right, is that you, if you put them on waivers, clearly they couldn't make a trade with anybody because no one wanted to pick up that contract. Right. Whatever they yeah. were offering. So buying him out was a better chance or a better, a better deal for them. So no one's going to take that action, right? Yeah, and nobody, everybody who was uh, bought out yesterday, um, nobody, you know, nobody put any waiver claims on them. And so, yeah, and so for players that are older than 26, like Turris, um, so he had four years remaining on his $6 million contract. And so that tells us that the, um, he was going to get oh, – I take that back. I'm sorry. I think – well, anyways, he's supposed to get a, a third of his – the cap hit's going to be a third of the remaining contract value over double the time. So $6 million, he had four years left, and so now Nashville has to pay – has a cap hit of $2 million for eight years. Um, that's, it's a big – it's a very big uh, burden to have for that long. And I argue that whatever was going on with La Violette and Turris and then – Again, with I think between Poyle and Turris, it's it just seems like it's unfortunate because again, Turris had a very bad. He probably had one of the worst years of his career last season, but it didn't help that he was healthy scratched for a long stretch and then had just a huge number of of different line mates that he played with. I mean, they played he played really well with Blackwell and Trennan, but I mean you're putting this guy that you paid to be your number two center on the fourth line playing with two AHL guys, and so. You know, it just it wasn't working out, and they saved this money. But again, they have a four million dollars savings over the next four years, and but that they have to you know pick up for the rest of the you know the other four years past that. And so, I thought by moving Benino, that you know that's you know, moving Benino gives you that same amount of money for four million dollars. Um, and so I thought that maybe they'd keep him, but apparently they didn't. And so as of right now. Um, all the players that are on the books. So I think that's 15 players, not counting Trennan because Trennan's technically not counting towards the books because he's in, uh, in playing in the KHL right now with Askarov actually. But um, so it's 15 players. And I think that gives us right now $17 million in cap space. Now I kind of put a caveat on that because they have to sign Cunin. They are going to have to bring up however many prospects they're going to bring up to the active roster 
Um, and so, you know, I did just a kind of quick preliminary analysis saying, you know, say bring up Tolvanen, they bring up Pitlick, they bring up Tomasino, they bring up Jeremy Davies, Alex Carrier, um, all those, that, that 17 million goes down to about 10, 10 and a half million dollars. And so, you know, David Poyle yesterday talked about wanting to focus on getting some free agent defensemen that he kept, you know, emphasizing that that was the focus, but yet we've been hearing more and more chatter about Poyle being in on going after Taylor Hall. And it's going to be interesting to see what he does with this because again, so you save $4 million from tourists, you're saving $4 million from, from Benino. And so that gives you, you know, that additional $8 million to work with. If he goes to sign, to sign Hall, um, even at a short, short term, like one or two year deal, I mean, I, I don't see him taking going lower than seven, five. I mean, honestly, I don't see that. I think it'd probably be around eight. And so you, you've they've gutted the team a little bit. You know, they didn't resign. They're not resigning Grandland or Craig Smith, even though the agent did say, you know, there's a chance that Craig Smith could come back to Nashville, but I'm pretty sure that's done because Poyle talks about Smith in the past tense now. And they didn't re-sign Colin Blackwell, something that I, I just, I frankly don't get. I really do not understand that. Um, so the team doesn't have very much in the way of top six talent anymore. It's a Jofa line and Duchesne. Uh, you could argue that Yarncrook had a pretty good year last year um, playing half his time with Johansson and Arvidsson and then another half of his time with Duchesne and Grandlin um, and, you know, 16 goals. But after that, it's, it's, it's bleak, you know, you're missing Turris, you're missing Benino. You have Grimaldi, but Grimaldi is now missing both of his line mates from the like the most successful line in Nashville last year, which was Benino Smith and Grimaldi. And then you've got a hodgepodge of players after that, like Colton Sissons, Austin Watson, Yakov Trenin uh, now, since he's on a one-way deal. And yeah, you could add a player like Taylor Hall, but that's also going to guarantee that one, they're probably going to have to get defensemen veteran defensemen on really cheap contracts. I mean, it's we're probably going to see something similar to what they did with Dan Hamhuis, maybe a little bit more money than that. Um, but I don't know. It just, it doesn't, if this, the whole Taylor Hall thing goes through, it doesn't make sense to what, from what this strategy starting yesterday um, seems to be. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate about tourists. I think, you know, Clearing the cap space is smart. And I think this is what's been needed. And they probably should have started this process a year or two ago. Um, because again, this team was never one piece away, unfortunately. And I think the final straw that broke the camel's back on that was LaViolette being fired. Um, but it's just odd to me that Poyle last night made comments about how they needed players that usually play better to step up this year and then go moving on to different types of players um, than the free agents, than the players that they have in certain spots to kind of change the team. But the players that they're letting go, like Smith and Benino and Blackwell, are guys that had really good seasons. And so they've been consistent and they've gotten better. And so it's just odd to me that the messaging just seems really, really mixed. And so with Benino going, I it, I understand a tourist buyout a little less. I think each one of them, those moves, either one of those moves by themselves would have been okay. Um, but if they, they did both and that's fine. I, as long as they don't use that money on to tie up 
seven, eight million dollars over the next two or three years because this is a team that is probably going to have a very similar pick next year. I, I think you know, what I'm hearing you say is, and, and you said this, but let's think about it for a minute. You said Poyle made the comment that they were hoping for players who normally played better to step up and play better, and they didn't. And then where the miscommunication or the misunderstanding is, at least on the the non-general manager side of things, is that you're now getting rid of people that did um, – have better seasons, such as Benino, such as Smith. I'm wondering, though, and let's let's take Taylor Hall out of the equation. And okay. Let's that let's say that you are are leaving Nashville with the skilled players they have remaining on the roster. Your Joe right. and um, your top your top four, top three defenders, uh, something like that. Um, if you don't bring in someone like Hall, and you bring in a lot of um, a lot of the youth movement that we've heard so much about, I believe, and this is maybe just a different way of looking at it, that you are taking your guys who are on longer contracts, who you have mm-hmm. money tied up in and saying, now it's on you. You have to do this. You have to step up and you have to lead this team and you have to play to your ability and maybe even above your ability if you're going to make something happen on this team. And that way you're, you're kind of forcing those guys' hands into stepping up and taking on more of a leadership role, which is something I really heard uh, Benino get a lot of credit for was his leadership in the locker room. Right. Um, and I think that's a possibility. Um, you know, it's, it's when someone fails to meet your expectations, you raise them. Mm-hmm. Heard that before? Yeah, yeah, definitely. As a teacher, that's what I always hear is when students fail to meet your your expectations, you raise your expectations and you hold them to a higher standard instead of lowering them. Um, and so if you bring in another flashy player and you're going to say, hey, you know, you saw it with Duchesne last year. Here comes Duchesne. Everybody gets kind of complacent and just assumes that Duchesne's going to shoulder the burden and then turns around and doesn't. Instead of bringing in someone else who's going to be big and flashy, you bring in guys who are up and coming and need to learn and need to get better. And when you do that, that forces the hand of everybody else who's there to really step up and, and take on that leadership role and kind of play to the best of, if not above their abilities. At least I hope that's what it is. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I can see that definitely. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think if you're trying to do that to motivate them, I mean, that's kind of been the messaging the last two years. It seems like that they needed to, have these players step up and play more to their potential. I mean, I, I mean, it's, it just sounds like that's kind of what their messaging has been. And, you know, definitely Duchesne had a down year and Johansson has been, you know, what he, what he produces is not necessarily showing up on the score sheet. You know, he's always been a playmaker that is setting up Arvidsson and, and, and Forsberg and Forsberg, I think had a fine year. I don't, I have no issues with how Philip Forsberg played last year. And I think honestly, he was under, underappreciated this season for what he did, but, and then Arvidsson was hurt. Um, he came on a little bit, you know, towards the end of the season, but that's, you know, you got those guys and you're telling them, all right, like you need to step up and sure. I think, you know, Tomasino is the most, you know, NHL, close to being ready, I think, of any of the rest of the prospects. I think Tolbinin is, is also very, very close. But it's going to be difficult, especially for a guy like Duchesne, where you come in and then 
this team is, I mean, not, I mean, you just look at last year, they barely made it into the qualifying round of the, of the playoffs. And that was with Benino and Smith and Grandlin. Um, and now you don't have those guys and you can hope that these, these prospects will come in and do well, but I mean, I really don't see, I think this is okay, but I just don't see this team being very good. And I think that's going to, we'll see if that sits well, I guess, with the players, especially a guy like Duchesne, whose no movement contract doesn't kick in for a few more years because, you know, he came in to play with guys like Forsberg or Smith or Grandland, and now he's going to have two brand new line mates unless they put Forsberg back with them. And so, yeah, I understand. I mean, I definitely understand where you're coming from on that. And I don't disagree with it. Um, I would just be worried because I don't see this season, this next season. I, I mean, I, I think the ceiling is about what they did this year, uh, to be honest. And I think that, that would be a great outcome. Um, but you're just relying on a lot of guys who spent so much of their time in the AHL or in Tomasino's case in the OHL. And that's different than playing, playing, you know, in the national hockey league. And so it's just, it's, I wish they would just kind of commit to the fact that this is going to be a year of, of retooling at the very least, because I think this is what's needed. I think you get these guys time is going to benefit them all. Um, but you just have to make sure that this doesn't sour the guys that you have uh, on, on the team. You know, I, I really feel for Pecorine. He had to watch another goaltender get, get taken with Saros, you know, in the wings taking over about exactly half of games last year and starting the playoffs. He's, sees them with Ingram who Ingram is clearly being groomed to be the next guy in Nashville after Soros. Um, and then they draft Askarov. And again, I'm not saying he, he knows that he's probably not going to be on the team after next year, but them gutting it to this extent while probably what's necessary, he's got to feel a little bit bittersweet because I think everything that happened yesterday and plus letting Smith and Granlin walk, was basically probably the end of, of his dream of getting a Stanley Cup with, with Nashville. And so I do feel for him, and I, and I worry about how it may affect a guy like Philip Forsberg in two years when he's, getting a new, when he's up for a new deal. Um, you know, it, just, it, it might be something that, that may work against Nashville. But I think for the long term, this is what was needed. And again, as long as they don't go turn around and tie up a ton of money back in one player again, I think this will will work out. I think they'll be better, back to being better, a better team, the top three team in the Central, quicker this way. It just may take a year, and we may just have to be bad for one year. And honestly, I'm okay with that because if we can get the top ten pick again next season, I'll feel much, much better about the prospect pool. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a top ten pick in the next draft. And, you know, I, I'll just say I, I hope you're right. I hope this is kind of what's – kind of what's needed to give the team a chance to get into a better situation and maybe being down for one year is not the worst thing in the world. So, yeah. And um, honestly, I think a hidden upside of this whole thing is that maybe I'll be able to afford to, to buy tickets and go to more games this season. <laughs> we, we can only hope that that's the case. Yeah. Um, now let, let me say this before I, I know you've got to go before I let you go. Really, I don't want to do the two sentence thing again. It gets no, too go for it if you need to. All the time, but tell me, what do we look for in free agency? I think that they do need to find at least one veteran defenseman, someone in the two million dollar range, two point five million dollar range that can be effective, either paired with Ekholm, 
or pair or on the on the third pair pairing with um, with Tenorti or maybe Fabro because it Fabro had some growing pains. Tenorti's not very good, but I think you need that guy. You need somebody above replacement level. I think you know if I hadn't if I had my brothers, it might be Dan Hamhuis because looking back on his season, he had a much better season than than I think most of us thought. And uh, just because he didn't produce offensively at all, I mean, he was stronger defensively than Fabro was, and so and it all came at one million dollars. Um, so. I think they look for one defenseman in that two to two to five million dollar range, and then again, if they're not going to go after a big a big move for forwards, I wouldn't be surprised to see a similar deal, maybe even up to three and a half million, on a middle six forward because I think they need that. I can't see them wanting to rely on Tomasino, Tolvanen, Cunin, who's still young. Um, Trennan and Pitlick, like those being guys that get most of your ice time, like, uh, uh, you know, in the bottom six, that's a lot of rookies to depend on. It must be much better to have them rotating back and forth between, you know, getting some time or playing in the HL for some of them. And so, yeah, I think that's what they, they should do at least. I hope. Well, I, I guess it won't be long before we find out, will it? Yep. Tomorrow, tomorrow, Friday at, I believe, 11 PM central. I think eleven a.m. a.m. Yeah, central. Yeah, eleven a.m. central is. I think that's the the the. Uh, I guess the the starting line, whatever you want to call it. Well, Brian, I appreciate all of your insight into everything that happened. Hey, thank um, you. Uh, hey, you know when you need to have somebody who knows what they're talking about. We didn't <laughs> even get into the most important stat of all, plus minus. Right. Thing. Um, but I, I will say I appreciate your time. Um, can you, before I let you go, can you kind of tell everybody where they can find you and your work? Yeah. Um, so again, I'm a newly minted editor um, and writer at On the Four Check. So you uh, you probably won't see much change from what you've been seeing. I'll still be writing, um, doing analytics type stuff, but also, you know, a few more of these, these player report cards. Um, I will say I'm a little bit nervous because so far my previews, my player uh, player reviews, I think, have been Craig Smith, Colin Blackwell, Nick Benino, and then the re- other two that I have are Matt Duchesne and Philip Forsberg. And so, oh boy. yeah, um, that's three three out of five so far that I'm going. I'm supposed to write re- uh, reviews on, and they're gone. And so I'm I'm, I'm desperately trying to trade my Forsberg uh, review <laughs> for Austin Watson somewhere. Um, so yeah, whoa, <laughs> I see what you did there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but okay, but other than that, you can find me on Twitter. It's where. I am most of the time at Brian Baston, B-R-Y-A-N, B-A-S-T-I-N. I'm sure if you're listening, you, you've seen it, and you'll see me tagged in on the on the Forecheck Pod Twitter uh, Twitter account. Uh, make sure you follow us at On the Forecheck because uh, we've got so many good writers. I mean, just it's it's really awesome. And and of course, the guy you're going to be hearing from next, Eric, is just I don't know right now. I don't know how he's upright right now because he's been working on this draft stuff for two three months nonstop. So he's, he's an absolute unit. I'll say that. Yes, yes, he is. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's, he's awesome. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what he's got to say about the draft. I think, um, I think, I think the last couple of days aged him a little bit. <laughs> I think so. Well, well, Brian, I want to thank you again for uh, coming in and talking to us about that. Uh, coming up next, we'll be talking to Eric Dune, who is our resident draft and prospect expert. Uh, to talk a little bit about all of the draftees from the Predators and this, this go-round in the draft. Um, uh, so you'll be hearing from Eric when we come back from this break we're about to have right now.
All right, everybody, we're back from our break. I am here with Eric Dune. He is our resident expert on drafts and prospects and everything that happens before you make it to the NHL. And we are going to talk about all of Nashville's draft picks from the draft. It was just a couple of days ago, depending on when you're listening to this. And Eric is going to take us from the first round all the way through the seventh. Eric, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I uh, always get excited for the draft because uh, you get to see all of these guys have their dreams realized when they get drafted by an NHL club. And uh, I, think, I think the first round pick is probably going to be the most controversial. So I'm going to go ahead and let you get started on that one. Sure. So, uh, you know, obviously with their 11th overall pick, um, Nashville took uh, goalie Yaroslav Askarov. Um, who is, I mean, you know, just the concept nowadays of drafting a goalie that high seems kind of ridiculous. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for um, why that was the case. I mean, you know, I think as we got closer to round one, it seemed inevitable that that was the pick that they were going to target. And, um, you know, that's become clear in, in, you know, some of our post-draft coverage um, and interviews with the team. Uh, And... You know, as much as I think a lot of people said, oh, well, they need help at forward, they need this, you know, whatever, um, it's hard to fault them for this pick. I mean, you know, Askarov was, in many eyes, the best player available at 11. Um, you know, some could have gone with Anton Lundell, but whatever. Uh, and for good reason. He is, you know, people like to say, oh, he's the best goaltending prospect since Carey Price. And I think that's really a I really don't like player comparables I think that they kind of give a misconstrued vision of what a player is going to turn out to be but um I mean this is someone that we're talking about like if this pick works out as they expect it to um Ascroft will be a franchise level goaltender for them for 10 plus years um I mean he really is probably the best Russian goalie prospect of a generation um, maybe better than Andre Vasilevsky, who knows. Um, and he's dominated at every level he's been at while playing several years younger than his competition. So, I mean, the KHL season is early. So for a little bit of context, he's been playing in the KHL this season, which is the top Russian league. Um, and he's only started three games, but uh, you know, he's got a 9.74 save percentage in those three games, including one shutout. Um, you know, he's had some blips on the radar here and there. He had a rough world junior championship for Russia this past season. And a lot of people saw that as a flag, but that tournament is largely meaningless in terms of, you know, long-term projections. And, um, you know, this is someone who is at 18, um, you know, playing at a starting level against men in the KHL and, uh, you know, in two, three seasons time, he'll be making his way straight to Nashville, um, not Milwaukee, you know, not Florida, straight to Nashville. And um, that's the expectation from the organization. And, and I think that's a realistic development path. Um, so, you know, you're talking about a 20, 21 year old um, goalie that is, you know, really hitting a stride entering the NHL. That, that seems, and I don't know, I, I know that goalies and, and, doing anything with a goalie is kind of voodoo really. Mm-hmm. So I, is that typical of a goaltender to come up at that age or is that kind of more outside of the realm of normal for goaltenders? 
No, I mean, you know, it's hard, right? Like there is no clear like development age curve for goalies um, that's like found to be uh, any sort of pattern over the past 10 or 20 years. Whereas we have that to an extent with forwards and defenders. So it's hard to totally say. And, you know, the other thing you have to consider is like, even if a guy is ready necessarily to make it to the NHL, there are other factors that, um, you know, can hold them back in that position. I mean, there's only two uh, goalies on an NHL roster, and so limited positions. And then you've got someone like, you know, Andre Vasilevsky, who was drafted in the first round of 2012 and wasn't a full-time NHLer until the 2016-17 season, you know. The previous right. two years, he bounced between the AHL and the NHL. So that's four years. Uh, and that's like on the low end, like that's a short time. So no, that's not typical. And um, I think that's part of Askarov's um, ceiling is, is how much he's been defying, you know, previous expectations. So that really just speaks to the high caliber of, of you know, ability you're looking at with Askarov. And I, I had the opportunity to talk to him not long after he was drafted. And I think it was probably about 3.30 in the morning at his time. And, and I know that this doesn't hold a lot of water as far as how good someone's going to turn out to be. I mean, clearly everyone's excited, but for an 18 year old, who's already playing at a very high level competitively in the hockey world, I don't know where you would rank the KHL in terms of league quality um, out of all of the different leagues there are around the world, but he's playing at a very high level um, without question. But to then get drafted and then be awake at 3.30 in the morning, very high level of excitement, but an even higher level of willingness and readiness to prove himself. Um, I, I don't think this is someone who is going to rest on his laurels. I think he has a lot to prove. I think he wants to prove that he's as good as everyone thinks he is. And I don't know that you always see that with, with really high draftees. I think a lot of guys tend to get a little cocky because they've just been told how good they are for so long. So that's that's something I'm looking forward to, but uh, let's let's move on to the next round. Yeah. Um, so with so you know Nashville originally had two second round picks, um, 37 and 42. They ended up moving the first one in the Nick Benino deal, and with their 42nd pick, they went with um, Luke Evangelista, who is a uh, forward from the London Knights of the Ontario Hockey League. Um, so just to give a bit of background, so this is his. Second season in the OHL. Uh, his first season, he played 27 games, scored two points total. This season, he played in 62 games, scored 61 points. So nearly a point-per-game player. Uh, I think 37 of those points were even strength primary points. I think almost all of them, except for two or three, were um, even strength primary and secondary points. Um, you know, when you're talking about the London organization, you're talking about a team that has – historically proven they excel at developing NHLers. Um, you know, the program run by the, the Hunters there, I mean, you're talking about, you know, on the high-end players like Patrick Kane and, and you know, Corey Perry, Sergei Kostitsin, you know, like this is an organization that regularly turns out um, good NHL players, and it's because they've got staff at the helm who have been there, who have done that, who know what it takes, and they force their players to – be responsible off the puck. They force their players to be responsible in the defensive zone to earn their ice time before they get anywhere else. So, you know, for me, I think it was 
small bit of a reach of the pick. Um, I think he probably could have gone more in the 50s, but obviously Nashville didn't have a pick then. And if they really liked him enough, then they were going to take him there. Um, you're betting on someone who is really going to be pushing it like offensively. Like he's, he's really going to explode offensively in the next season or two in the OHL. And hopefully that's because of the developmental path that is there in London. And then you're looking at a guy who, when he gets to the NHL, you know, probably a decent middle six player who's got a nice scoring touch, um, can set up plays well, has a good set of hands and tight spaces. Um, you know, would like to see him execute that skill at a bit better pace. Um, but he's also got, you know, some really good skating mechanics and, and things like that are useful and translating to the NHL and then, you know, earning time on like the penalty kill, for instance, as someone who's, you know, counterattacking, not just playing defense. Um, so it's clear the organization was really high on him. Um, I think it was a bit of a reach of a pick, but, you know, if there's any organization in Canadian juniors that you're going to lean on to develop a player, and you don't want to bet the house on London is the way to go. So, you know, I can't totally fault him. And I think that Evangelista could, could turn out to be a good NHL player down the road. Um, so, yeah. How long do you think it, it's going to take before you see him move out of the OHL and into the AHL or the ECHL? Yeah. I mean, it's a little tougher to answer that this year because, you know, we're looking, we're, Still unsure when the OHL season is going to start this year. Um, the QMJHL already started, but they've already had an outbreak on two teams one weekend. Um, so, you know, we're, we're dealing with those factors. Um, I think the Ontario Health Minister just announced that if the OHL were to play this season, they would have to ban, like, physical, like, checking and physical contact, contact which is – I don't think any, what any of the teams would want. So all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, as an organization, what are our other options, right? Like who can we loan to Europe? Who can we loan to, you know, team clubs over there that we have relationships with. So they're getting playing time um, while uh, we're still dealing with this pandemic. So you know, I think in normal circumstances, I would say he probably plays, you know, a year, maybe two more in OHL, and then he's in Milwaukee for a season or so. Uh, but under these circumstances, I mean, I think it's almost probably a guaranteed two more years in the OHL and, and then up into to the AHL. Okay. Um, and, you know, I spoke with David Poyle yesterday after the draft was over, and one of the things that I asked him specifically about this, and he just said, you know, it's kind of up in the air. Uh, it just depends on where you can loan players and where you can get them ice time. So I know that's definitely – something that is not set in stone. It's a lot harder to predict. I, I don't really mind if you make those predictions on when and where situations in a, you know, best case scenario type of situation. You know, I, mm -hmm. I think at this stage in the game, everybody's pretty aware that we're dealing with some unprecedented situations. So, and I don't, I don't have a problem with you saying, you know, <laughs> if all this stuff wasn't happening, this is where we could go. Um, but take me to the, take me to the next pick. Yeah, so round three, um, 73rd overall, uh, Nashville took defender uh, Luke Prokop from the Calgary Hitmen of the WHL. Um, I think this might have been their biggest reach of the draft. Um, I think this pick is questionable. I don't think Prokop is bad. 
Um, I think he's got some NHL potential. I think he probably would have been available 30 picks later. Um, and if he wasn't available 30 picks later, then another team was making a similar mistake in my estimation. So, you know, I don't want to be so down on the guy because he's certainly, in, you know, an NHL prospect, but um, this is someone who is six foot four. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that stands out, you know, right off the hop. Um, for the Hitman this last year, he scored 23 points in 59 games. He is, um, he's a really good skater for his size. There's something I noticed in my viewings of him. He's got good edge control. Um, he's got good, um, he's able to transfer his weight and his legs really well. And it helps him to kind of step up and close those gaps and, you know, pivot towards the puck carrier and, and push them to the perimeter well, um, which is going to be essential for someone of his size to really make it at the next level. But, you know, I think his timing was off in some of those decisions. And that's just something that will get refined with more experience. Um, I think in transition, he's got a lot of room to improve. Uh, I think he can be a good puck carrier, especially with his skating skill, but he's got to, he's got to learn to cradle the puck a bit better. He's got to learn to move with his head up a bit more. He's got to learn to make those decisions on the fly. I mean, this is never going to be someone who is like Roman Yossi. Um, but you know, he's going to be counted on over the next two years to do a lot in Calgary for the hitmen. Um, and it's, it's going to be kind of sink or swim time for him. So, uh, I think, you know, once he can start to bring more to the table, the other end of the ice, you see someone who can help create a little more offense from the point. Um, but in the meantime, you know, he is, I would say by all intents and purposes, a real, um, raw project. Um, but again, like six foot four, right. Shooting defenseman, like, you understand why a team goes for that. I think it was sure. high, but, you know, it makes sense. And I'll, I'll say this, too, before we move on. In, in speaking with him after the draft or after he was drafted, it's really interesting. He was – his favorite team growing up was the Predators. He was a big Shea Weber fan. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, from a, from a personal, like, oh, well, you know, I enjoy hockey and, and heartwarming stories. It's always fun to see someone get drafted by their favorite team especially when it's, it's a team that hasn't been around as long as some of the others and having such a long history. Um, so I, I thought that was just kind of a fun moment, at least, at least for me, getting to talk to him afterwards. Talk, talk to me about the next pick, which is one of the, non, the non-Luke picks. Yeah, so 101, round four, um, a pick Nashville got from Minnesota. Uh, this is where their strategy started to get interesting. So they take Adam Willsby, who is a overage defenseman. Uh, so this was his third and last year of draft eligibility. So he's 20 years old. Um, and last year he was primarily playing in the hockey of Svenskin, which is, you know, not a perfect comparison, but it is essentially the AHL of Sweden. And um, he, you know, in 41 games there, he had 30 points, three goals, uh, and this season he has, is playing in the SHL, which is the top professional league in Sweden, um, for Schleftia, which is the organization that Victor Arvidsson came from, um, the organization that Hardy Hamonic Tell came from, um, to name a few. So uh, he's played five games this year, mostly on the third pairing for Schleftia. He actually scored his first point today of the season. Um, I would say between 10 and 15 minutes a night, roughly. 
Um, this is someone who, again, like this is not an organization that usually goes for a ton of overagers. And I can see why they went here though. So Willsby is a really excellent skater. I think he's probably the best skater of the draft class. Um, and that's something he's really refined over the past few years. It wasn't always perfect, but I think he's really taken it to an exceptional level, which is great. Um, he's almost the opposite of Prokop in that he's excels in transition, loves to have the puck on a stick, loves to cheat down low in the offensive zone and man that high slot um, and find open space. Um, you know, can be very active on the power play, good at shooting towards the net for rebounds and creating those high danger opportunities. You um, really excels at that end of the ice on defense. I don't think he's bad. I think there's, you know, that's certainly an opportunity for improvement. He, you know, similar to Prokop, I think he has the ability to take a skating, which is a good tool, and turn it into an asset at that end of the ice, you know, learning to pivot better towards puck carriers, learning, you know, just timing, like when to turn so you're forcing that player to the outside instead of having them crash to the net. Um, you know, that lateral mobility. So when a player is kind of crossing into the slot with a puck or trying to make a move, like, you can defend that, still have an active stick, and still kind of box them out. Um, so I think it's just building more consistency there. Um, you know, I think this is someone who probably projects as a depth NHL defenseman, maybe a sixth or seventh NHL defender. Um, but, you know, this is a guy they're betting high on on a short timeline. So they've got his negotiating rights for two more seasons, and then he's a free agent if they don't sign him. So if they don't like what they see in the next two seasons, like they've lost, they, I don't want to say they wasted a pick, but you know, and um, you know, if not, then they've got someone who can potentially fill that hole. Like I said, that sixth or seventh defenseman role um, moving forward. So. Would you, would you say that's kind of like a, uh, a very like low anti bet or something like that with, with potential for high payoff or, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know how high the payoff is when you're talking about like a seventh defender on an NHL team, True. which are largely replaceable. But um, yeah, I think it's he's an interesting pick. I think it's someone they clearly liked and someone they think is going to go the route they they hope he does. Um, if he doesn't pan out, I mean, it's not the end of the world. Like you're betting on a 20 year old, so. All right, Eric, let's, let's move on to the last of the Lukes. I know there were three Lukes. This is uh, Luke Reed. He was the last Luke that the organization picked up yesterday. Yes, yeah, Luke Reed. Um, so Luke Reed is, uh, you know, another example of a player who I was not the highest on, but I think they might take some good value from this. So – for background, Luke Reed is, came from the Chicago Steel of the USHL, which is the top junior league in America. Um, in, it's his second season there. In 45 games this year, he scored uh, two goals and 17 assists. And the one thing you have to know about the Chicago Steel is, well, two things. A, they're stacked. They were the best team in the USHL by a mile. Um, and that blue line is really good. And it features Owen Power, who is um, – going to be a top pick at next year's draft, the 2021 draft. Um, the second thing you should know about the Chicago Steel is they are the London Knights of the USHL. 
if you are trusting any USHL organization to develop a player, it's them. Um, I mean, they're really like the master class of the league. So um, Reed is, he was 19 when he was drafted. He just turned 19 this year. Um, actually kind of interesting. He is, so he would have turned 18 last September uh, 26th, which makes him uh, 11 days shy of uh, being eligible for last year's draft. So not technically an overager, but almost essentially one. Um, and he is headed to the University of New Hampshire uh, next season. Um, and I mean, they're expecting big things from him. I think he's going to have an opportunity there to really grow his game and going to be leaned on a lot. He is someone who is also a really good skater. You're noticing a trend here. Um, he, I think he really understands like mechanically, like a really good skating stride. He's, he's got it and he can use it to his advantage. Um, you know, I saw some inconsistent performances on defense, but I saw some good ones as well. Um, so I think it's just about, you know, becoming more of a well-rounded player in that regard. Uh, he skates with his head up a lot. I think he's got good vision. I think he maps the ice out well, uh, understands where players are moving before they get there. Um, but I think that his biggest, you know, room for improvement here would be he just really has to calm down when the puck is on a stick. I think he could be a really good puck mover. I think he's got a good soft touch with the puck on his stick. Um, I think he's someone who can produce offensively at the collegiate level at, you know, at a high clip and maybe beyond. Um, I think he just rushes into decisions sometimes too much. I think he throws pucks around a little recklessly, not in like a turnover sense, but like, you know, he'll just shoot it, you know, low danger wrist shot from the point to get it on net instead of, you know, using his skating to kind of open up more space and create an opportunity for a teammate. So I think once he just starts recognizing those chances a little more and converting on them, like this is someone who could really be a good player. Um, but at the same time, like he is going to be in college for a few years. Um, he'll probably need some AHL time after that. Um, you know, this is probably going to be a, a four or five year project for them. So, Okay. Now, before we move on, I want to point out that, even though they had picked many Lukes at this point, there were no Lukes left from what I understand. Correct. And they went as far away from another Luke as they could by drafting Gunner Wolf Fontaine. Talk yep. to me about Gunner Wolf and let me know if his, if his potential for the NHL is as strong as his name is. Yeah. So Gunner Wolf, uh, he is another overager. So another 20 year old playing, uh, also played for Chicago in the USHL this year. Um, and it's really hard to get a read on, on a lot of these prospects that came out. So if you looked at the, at the whole draft board this year, like for every team, you would have seen the Chicago steal a many number of times. They produced a lot of NHL picks this year and rightfully so. Um, it's hard to get a read on how much of that for certain players was real and how much of it was the benefit of playing on that team. So like at pick 202, it really doesn't matter all that much because you're just throwing whatever at the wall. Um, but, you know, Fontaine scored 57 points in 45 games for Chicago last year. 
Uh, and that wasn't like a huge, like he had the 43 points the year before, but that 57 points was only good for fourth on the steal behind Matthew DeSaint-Folly, uh, who, who's an overager as well, Brendan Brisson, who's a first-round pick, and Sam Colangelo, who's also drafted. Um, so, you know, he is – he's a creative guy. I mean, he's smaller. He's 5'10", moves well. His skating mechanics aren't perfect. I think there's some room for improvement there, but he gets from point A to B well. Um, Going to be a lot less time and space at, at the collegiate and higher levels, but – you know, creative with the puck. Some viewings I saw of him, he looked excellent. I mean, he looked like a top-flight prospect. Um, you know, shoots well from the from the dot of the power play. Um, was running cycles for his team. Was good in transition. Was drawing penalties. Was strong the strong on the puck. Other performances, he just looked either okay or just kind of invisible. So, um, I think it's it's going to be a task for him to take those good performances and make that a nightly, you know, occurrence for him when he's not playing with, you know, someone like Brendan Brisson, when he's not playing with Sam Colangelo, Sean Farrell, you know, players like that. Um, but at the same time, like he's 20 years old, he's going um, into, he's going to Northeastern this year. Um, and, you know, it's going to be interesting. Like Nashville's all of a sudden got a ton of guys in the hockey East and, um, and I think he's a guy who, who could be a really good college player. I'm not sure what his ceiling is beyond the NCAA level. But, uh, again, it's pick 202, so it is what it is. I should also add that um, he, his sister play, currently plays for Northeastern's women's hockey team, and she is um, very, very good. So, is Just out of curiosity, is she also a forward? Is she a defender? Yeah, so she also doesn't have a ridiculous name. Uh, well, <laughs> she's uh, it's Skylar Fontaine, but she's a defender, um, and she has been one of Northeastern's best players for a few years now. So that's that's really interesting. I, I like seeing the brother sister tandems in in uh, in hockey. I think that's I think that's interesting. I, also worth mentioning is that Northeastern University is, of course, the alma mater of. Fred's general manager, David Poyle, correct? Yes. So there's, I know that when we spoke to Poyle, that was one of the things he said was that he'd certainly be keeping an eye on Gunnar Wolf because he goes to his alma mater and plays for them. So, so it seems like uh, who's the last, who's the last Northeastern hockey product that was on the team? Was it Tony Batetto? I think it was. Okay. I always wondered if that was the reason for, for Tony being in, in Nashville for so long, although <laughs> his personality certainly kept him there, I'm sure, if not his hockey playing. Um, let's, let's bring it home with their final pick in the draft. Yeah, so seven picks later, um, they took uh, Chase McLean, also from the USHL, uh, this time from the Tri-City Storm. Uh, McLean is an interesting pick. I mean, again, 209, like – you know, it is what it is. I think that teams who have a lot of intentionality in the seventh round can def- can find really good prospects. I think Yuso Parsonen is a great example of that last year. I think some teams also enter the end of the seventh round and just say, whatever, we don't care at this point, um, which I think is a poor strategy, but, you know, whatever. Um, 
McLean is not someone I, I watched this year. I mean, I, I watched some Tri-City games this year for other prospects, but um, McLean was hurt a lot of the year, so he only played 18 games, scored 16 points. Um, another overager, another 2000 birth year, uh, 20 years old. Um, he's heading to Penn State, so another college player this fall. And uh, he's an interesting product. I mean, I, I've been watching some, some games, some of his tape the past – um, a few hours here and I mean it's a it's again I think you know the strategy we were starting to see here with these overage picks is, is a bit of safeness I guess um, you know I haven't gotten my requisite viewings in yet to feel comfortable having an opinion on him but um, you know one thing that stood out to me was uh, Tri-City's reliance on him uh, taking defensive zone draws um, in a very like Nick Benino sense way, um, many a shifts where he would take a D zone draw and then get off for a change. Um, you know, I think he displays as a good, you know, good size, six two kind of power forward frame, but he plays center. Um, not gonna be, you know, an elite score, not gonna be a um, you know, a, a high-end point producer, I would say, but also going to a Penn State program that plays in the Big Ten, which is a really hard – I mean, that's one of the hardest college hockey conferences. So, um, you know, I think I would describe him as much more of a long shot than any of these other picks. But, again, at 209, um, you know, it is what it is. So, I, and I, I had read, too, that, you know, you hadn't – you hadn't caught any viewings of him before you heard his name called. So I understand your unwillingness to make a commitment to a really good uh, <laughs> prediction of how he's going to do. And I appreciate that. And Eric, uh, let me just say um, the, the work you do for on the forecheck really is, is phenomenal. I don't know. I don't know anyone else that can go as in depth with not just players within the predators organization, but all of the amateur players out there, all of the potential prospects coming down the pipe um, for everybody. And I, I, I'm just going to say at some point, Eric, we're going to lose you to a, a professional team who's going to pay you to do this um, quite, quite handily, I hope. So when that day comes, I will, will always say that it was an honor to work with you. Um, and, and I really enjoy and, and look forward to hearing what you have to say about these players and the way you keep up with them every year. It's, it's absolutely just phenomenal. So know that you have my respect and admiration when it comes to this. And I don't know where we, where we'd be without you. If, if it wasn't for you, we'd have to rely on some magazine or something that, that would tell us old information about players. So I appreciate everything you do, Eric. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And um, I know uh, this is a fun time of the year for everyone typically. So I, I always look forward to it. And 2021 draft is not super far away. So I'll be turning my this in that direction uh, here shortly. I understand. Well, Eric, thank you again. And uh, that's going to wrap up the uh, On the Forecheck podcast for episode five. Uh, I want to thank Brian Baston, who joined us earlier. And of course, again, Eric Dune. Eric, you can, uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Yes, you can find me on Twitter uh, at On the Future OTF, um, where I, as Sean pointed out, um, pretty consistent coverage of all the Preds prospects. Uh, I hand track a lot of games and um, publish that data into some charts. Uh, my articles will pop up there as well as uh, clips throughout the season. 
of plays that I really liked or didn't like um, of these guys. So be sure to follow, tune in. Um, a lot of more content coming here shortly, including a, a more in-depth breakdown of each of these picks uh, in article form. So, Well, I, I'm looking forward to that, and I will say that I don't think I would know 99% of what I know about the, the prospects farther down in the organization if it weren't for what you were doing. So if you're not already following Eric, I highly recommend you do that as soon as possible. Um, I would say run, don't walk, but you probably already have your phone in your hand. And you'd be able to do that. Of course, if you're driving and listening to this, maybe wait till you're not driving. I don't, I don't recommend you, you follow anyone while you're driving. Um, but uh, anyway, just a reminder, the, our podcast here has started our own Twitter account. That's at 4CheckPod, and we're trying to build up our follower count. Um, so to those of you listening out there, thank you for tuning in. Uh, tell a friend about us. Give us a follow on Twitter. And a special shout out at the end here to Eamon Smith, who is going to be the one editing all of this together and putting it into a highly listenable format. So thank you to all the listeners. Thank you to Brian. Thank you to Eric. And this has been Sean Smith signing off for the On the Forecheck podcast.